and welcome to the Produce Retail Podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Nickel, and I'm delighted to be joined today by Cody Masters. Cody is the Vice President of Culinary and the Executive Chef for Everson Spice Company. His work includes tracking trends and helping both retailers and grower shippers develop new flavor profiles. Now, you might remember that we've actually gotten to hear from Cody before on this podcast, and I asked him back again because he had reached out in advance of the IFPA Global Produce and Floral Show to share a list of some of their spring and summer seasoning options that they're exploring for 2024. And my immediate thought was, which of these could I possibly use to bring out the flavor and some different vegetables to help me eat more of them? And of course, Cody had lots of ideas. And so for me, this is a great kind of springboard for cross-merchandising opportunities, maybe cross-promotion opportunities if you're on the, the supplier side of the equation, all kinds of potential here. So without further ado, thank you so much for taking the time, Cody, and welcome back to the Produce Retail Podcast. Hey, Ashley, I'm thrilled to be here. I'm glad to be back. I had so much fun with our last conversation, so I'm ready to go. Super, super. Well, I wanted to ask you, first of all, because when I think about what kind of stuff gets merchandised in cross-merchandise, I should say, in the produce department, typically, I think of the banana bread mix and the, the chocolate dip with the strawberries and some of those different things. And it struck me that maybe there's a missed opportunity for some folks in terms of getting some seasoning and different things in there next to vegetables and particularly, I think, because because that sells less on impulse than we know than, than fruit does. So I was curious what you've seen as far as retailers doing that well. Well, we can, we can have way more fun than banana bread. Let's just start <laughs> there. So yeah, it's interesting. You said that I reached out to you before the produce show and that was our first time doing that show. And we didn't really know what we were getting into. Um, it, it's massive. First of all, it's a massive show. It reminds <laughs> me of like the, the the National Restaurant Association size, like just huge. I didn't even finish walking the whole thing, um, but fascinated by so many different aspects or layers of how people approach a show like that. Now, the interesting thing for us was uh, they didn't know what to do with us. So when I pitched to, to show up at this event and get a booth, they were like, well, we'll put you in business solutions. And my reaction was, I do not want to be next to a bank that will offer you funding for, you know, X, Y, Z or an equipment company that, that packs your vegetables after you cut them. So I like scratched and clawed my way up the ladder until we actually got in with the rest of the food. And, you know, we were privileged enough to be amongst uh, many of our customers that we currently work with right now. So as an adjacency, moving into the produce area has been massive for us, uh, 18 to 24 months, uh, more and more lately though. Wow. So I've had a lot of fun in order, you know, in, in time to play with these things before we got to the event itself. Now, what I saw, what I heard, we built this whole case. So the whole back wall, was essentially just manifestations of what could value-added produce look like. And that could be something from a seasoning packet on cut vegetables. We had a whole cold bar where we were serving seasoned fruit. Mm -hmm. uh, we had uh, meal kits that were for ratatouilles and different sort of like stews, if you will, but they could be on a soup pan, they could be done in an Instapot. We have all these kits out there and we're serving these items and the craziest thing about that show was that the growers, more than anybody else, walked by and saw that and multiple times over had the same reaction. That's the future. And we kind of laugh and we're like, it's kind of the present because more people are becoming more receptive to the fact that they don't want to just put salt and pepper on their vegetables. So, for example, we were doing a caramelized pumpkin brulee on acorn squash. Oh. The caramelized pumpkin brulee was the seasoning. Or you take it in a total different direction and for the seasoned fruit and some produce as well, specifically jicama and cucumber. But for that cold bar that we built out, we got, I, I just be honest, we got real weird with it. So you think about, you can literally go to markets right now and you can buy cut produce that has a little pack of tahini seasoning inside of it. Okay, but that's one flavor and they have explored some other options, but I don't look at the brand. I look at the concepts from, from the flavor stance. Yeah. And you think like, okay, but 
if that's the backbone of the flavor, how much more fun can we have? Now, tahine is trademarked by tahine. So instead, we created a whole line of chamois. And we had something a little bit more basic, like a lime and mango. But then we took it all the way over and we made a dill pickle chamoy. We did a michelada chamoy. We did a boysenberry chamoy. We we really had, we took some liberties with like, what, what can that sweet and that tart work with? Well, how about a briny flavor? How about a fruit flavor? How about a more savory flavor? How about adding alcohol into the dry blend as well? And so throwing that on, it blew people's minds. And, you know, we had the privilege as well to sponsor a major retailer out as guests to us, somebody I do a lot of business with right now. And they were not directly associated with the produce team at their market, but they brought their produce team over. And when you have somebody like that, National Footprint, and immediately they're like, we know we need to be doing this. We just need to figure out where to put it. That's really where the fun brainstorming started to occur. So knowing that market as well as I did, I take a step back and I say, well, well, look, I, I tell my sales team, I tell my broker network all the time. When you walk a supermarket, if you want to see up and coming flavors, I want you to start with snacks and I want you to start with beverages oh, because yeah. eventually those flavors will become more mainstream. And then people are going to try to figure out how to use them elsewhere. So for example, this retailer, we will monopolize all their bulk dry snack mixes starting next month. So through the, the first half of next year, that will be 44 SKUs of some seriously wild flavors going on dried nuts, dry seeds, dried fruit, and snack mixes. Those same flavors, taking some of those snack seasonings that I developed, now you take that and I'm like, what about making that into a compound butter? So I formed relationships with multiple different butter manufacturers throughout the country for various distribution points. And now I'm going into meetings, three meetings last week, for example, where I'm serving grilled meats, simple brine, just a very simple brine on the grilled meats and then melting and produce as well. We actually put quite a bit of produce in front of there, but melting that butter over the top. So taking something like Brussels sprouts, doing a quick roast on them, and then melting a cranberry orange compound butter over the top. Doing something with the uh, with asparagus, for example, was one that I threw out and I thought like, well, what could I do with this? So I whipped up a pineapple habanero compound butter and melted that over the top. So again, it's just, it, it, it's like we talked about last time, like the whole, my whole thing is eat with your eyes before you eat with your mouth. Nobody's going to walk past a meal, a little, a little take and bake tray of half Brussels sprouts and see that it's paired with a cranberry orange compound butter and not think I got to try it. Like that's never something I would consider as an option, but like, seriously, like, how could that be bad? Like, why, why would I not spend $3.99, $4.99, take this home and have a quick side that I can throw on the plate next to a meal this, you know, as the weather gets colder and we enter these next seasons. Well, and to your point, to me, that seems like the natural next step and the next way to differentiate your fresh cut section, right? Because at a certain point, everybody's got cut, you know, whether it's with, whether it's the broccoli and cauliflower florets, whether it's the cut up uh, celery, the, the fruit, you know, all the different things. A lot of times you're getting the same sorts of things in maybe different pack sizes, depending on where you go. But to your point, when you start thinking about ways to work different flavors in there through seasonings, Personally, I'm all about the idea of the compound butter with the vegetable because that takes all the work out of it for me so as a consumer. So easy. And, you know, the thing thing that I've really begun to realize, and this is, this is honestly, it's part of the Everson Spice culture that I was indoctrinated into. <laughs> you know, I have just as much fun walking middle store and seeing my competition in terms of what seasonings are selling B2C, direct to consumer. Okay. So there, there's some interesting things out there. Sometimes there's a lot of the same stuff 90% of the time, but you can, I can kind of see like, okay, this, this chain or this buyer is willing to take a chance on something a little bit more esoteric. Think Trader Joe's. Trader Joe's always has some wild, fun, dry blends out there. Now, the way I see it in terms of having conversations with buyers though, how many people are going to buy that shaker jar, take it home and then not really understand how to use it? And then 
It's usually in glass. If they leave it out, it's, the light's going to degrade the product. If they leave it open, it may cake up, it may oxidize, and they're not going to really get a very substantial yield out of that purchase. If you transition into a seasoning pack, think of something like Kroger's uh, street corn kits. Those were all our flavors on there. The hottest selling street corn kit from this last summer was everything bagel. Nobody would think that that would be the case when we're also selling it next to a sweet chipotle and just a run of the mill, you know, chili lime elote flavor. But they took a chance on a more esoteric flavor and consumers literally bought it and ate it up. And so when we have these conversations and we talk about how to merchandise these, I think it's just as important to recognize like where in the store are your foragers going to give the most attention and be willing to take the most chances? But also, how do you set your customer up for success? For me, it's never about just setting my customer up. It's setting my customer's customer up for success. And if that little seasoning packet goes in there and they're buying you know, bok choy or shishito peppers and it's got a, a zesty Szechuan black garlic seasoning pack, that takes the guesswork out. They know how to, you know, people know how to saute some shishito peppers, sprinkle that seasoning on, and there it is. If I give somebody a whole bottle of zesty Szechuan black pepper seasoning, inevitably someone's going to use it on like, well, I'm making some ramen. I'll, I'll sprinkle some on the top or like I'll put some on my brown rice. What else can I do with this? And then they're just stuck sitting on something. So it's actually a much more efficient way for your customer to experience more flavors and to use a fishing analogy have them take the bait, excite them, and then want them to come back for more and more over and over again, because there's no waste involved at the end of the day. Exactly. Well, and it seems to me like a fantastic way to even drive trial too, because we think about some of on yes. the produce side, even some of these fruits that that might seem a little intimidating are less accessible if it's mango on how to cut it, or if it's dragon fruit on that looks cool, but I don't really know how to yes. taste and we did both we did both and there were a lot of people this was literally a produce show there were many people that walked by saw my seasoned dragon fruit and said what is that so it's like when you're at a produce show and people don't know what cut dragon fruit looks like what are all those what is this what's what are all the seeds inside i'm like no you can totally eat that this is dragon fruit there's different colors you know right now i think Target was the first person I saw that sells like a two pack of white dragon fruit for like $3.99. My son loves them, buy them all the time, bring them home, you know, throw a little bit of flavor on there for him or just give it to him. He's cool either way, but <laughs> I like to have more fun with it than I think he needs me to, but I, I, I take the liberties. <laughs> Absolutely. See me personally for dragon fruit, it's the yellow ones from Ecuador, I believe those, okay. the flavor naturally, I think is the best on those. It, the pink one, honestly, or the red, I think, technically, I yeah. would want a, a little extra seasoning would not hurt that. Yeah. That would be a good for thing. For sure. <laughs> I think of that as a supplement for my smoothies. There <laughs> like there's go. a lot of other flavors involved, you know? Yep. <laughs> but it was, it was fun because that show specifically really allowed me to like, I, I, and I say it and it doesn't have a negative connotation in my head, but like I told my whole team, like, we're going to get a little weird. And this is as that little microcosm we got to sit in for a few days. That is as good as a test batch as possible. It's R&D by proxy in my mind, because I want to know what our customers think when they come to our booth, what any random person walking by the booth thinks. And I'm talking about from buyer of a major supermarket chain to a custodian who I'm just saying, hey, grab some, help yourself. We got plenty. And they're like, well, this is crazy. I've never tasted boysenberry chamoy on jicama let me try this oh my gosh this is awesome like you have can i take more yeah come by get some more later no big deal you know so you're able to get the instant feedback on there and um since that show i think i've been in five maybe six different capabilities showings um some follow-ups from the event itself but we have definitely piggybacked on the energy and the momentum we got out of that show in terms of knowing um I'm, this isn't going to be one of those situations where I'm 12, 16, 18 months ahead of the trend. When the growers, when avocado growers out of Central and Mexico and Central America are coming by and being like, we're being asked just to put the seasoning in the case of avocados now. Like, we need to figure out how to do this. It's like, okay, like, 
they're being, that's being communicated to them from the people that I need to get in the ear of to say, look, we can give you something that's very expedited and very easy to process, or we are more than happy to create a trifecta here and figure out how we can synergize this to make it even easier for you if that's the path you want to go. And that's that's really been, you know, the the bulk of our follow-up work in terms of getting getting the flavors out there, but also showing, you know, this little packet capability, the technology to make these little packets, it's a no-brainer. You rip it, you dump it, you throw it away, you eat. I mean, it can't get any easier, especially when it comes to uh, produce, you know, fruit and vegetables, because like, you know, meat people kind of already know what to do with. But again, this is a new frontier for the majority of America, because it's just not something that's been exploited to any level yet. Well, because when I think about, to your point, seasonings for meat, it's easy to go get you know, a product, it's a combination of different things and it's the all-in-one solution, right? Where I feel like when I see recipes that are primarily for vegetables, for instance, it's, okay, you need your oregano and you need, it's all these individual things. Like baking. Well, yeah. depending on, you know, what season of life I've been, I may not have time for all those individual no. things. So, or, the, I mean, think about that. At least yeah. if you buy a seasoning blend, you might find other uses for it. Who finishes a whole, like, you know, I've got a thing of bay leaves that's been sitting in my kitchen for three years. Yeah. I don't want to go buy new bay leaves because I don't use them that often. But, like, you know, it's like, you don't, it's just commodity shakers are even worse because then oh, yeah. how much, how much dried parsley do you really need at a given moment? Yep. Yep. We even, and this is such a basic thing, the Italian seasoning blend I bought, I don't know how many years ago for a specific recipe that I was going to try. Well, I finally found a different recipe that I actually did make this last week. And that, that bottle is now, you know, 79 80ths full yeah. <laughs> instead of being yeah. completely full. Huge you know? dent. <laughs> You're like, all right, <laughs> next year I'll do this again. That's right. And <laughs> I'm going to get to 60% and <laughs> well, and it's I totally true. The, the right sizing of the portion, I think is a huge opportunity in and of itself. And then to your point, you get, you can, you could have trial on so many different ones. And then, yeah, if you really like it, you can get the full size, right? You can have that as an option too. But yeah, yeah, that, absolutely. that just, I mean, making it easy is so huge. And I, I really think retailers who make it easy and it's good, you feel like you're getting bang for your buck in something that's also easy. It's just, it's hard to beat that. That's why you know, some of these big retailers that have really made online easier or, or things like that, you know, you can do it in different ways, but especially for, I think, whether it's regionals or, you know, whoever's trying to to stand out and bring something different from a flavor perspective, you know, you, you got to start getting creative and, and out of the box, out of the comfort zone a little bit on that. <laughs> well, when you, you see, I see more retailers are really starting to put a renewed focus on um, seasonal flavor calendars. Oh. So there's there have been several that are adamant about this. And it's very, very helpful for somebody like myself because it allows me to plan ahead and, and like help yeah. them build that pipeline out. What I'm seeing more is more are gravitating towards that with their own unique approach. So maybe instead of a seasonal flavor profile, it's a theme for the store. So when you think about it from that, from that perspective, cross-functional usage is also just as important because if they're going to take one flavor and they're going to say, this flavor is July and August of fiscal year 24. Okay. How can I then think about allowing them to control inventory while still presenting something very innovative? So if there's a way for me to create something that I know would work really well on in a produce kit, in a vegetable kit, but then could also be used potentially on, say, cocktail shrimp, but then also could go over to the deli with a, the right formulation and be blended into coleslaw or macaroni salad or potato salad. Now, all of a sudden, you're helping them build that strategy out. Mm -hmm. And that's why it's so important to have those types of conversations. I think that, you know, I know in past life, I've been involved where our sales strategy was very reactive. Um, something I've been very proud of is shifting in a lot of ways since coming on with Everson, 
working with our sales management team to be so much more proactive. Ask them about this in September or October. You get this data in front of me, I will give you everything you need for the next fiscal year. And then we'll figure out, A, how can you cross merchandise the flavor using one seasoning blend, ensuring that their inventory is going to be controlled and ensuring that thematically, as that consumer is walking through the market, you're, com- you're keeping them engaged in this same theme. So it's like, oh, that's really cool. It's, I don't know, let's just say pineapple. It's pineapple. Okay, well, oh, this is a pineapple habanero coleslaw. That's awesome. Oh, then there's a pineapple habanero cocktail shrimp. Oh, that's cool. And then there's a pineapple habanero on, I mean, pick your street corn idea, if you will. And there it is. And they've, most markets, you walk through the door, that's that's a third of your market space right there that they just walked through. And you've kept them engaged with what you're trying to feed to them every step of the way. And so as important as it is to focus on the platform, I think it's also just important for somebody from my perspective to also think about, okay, but how else can this be used? Because when I made those snack seasonings that literally work just as well on an almond as they do on fresh fruit, that line started for me about three years ago as coffee and tea sugars. And I had this idea of like, well, why aren't people seasoning beverages? They should be seasoning beverages. I want to get into this. So I create this line of like, I wouldn't say traditional, but coconut and ginger, Turkish cardamom and and cacao, uh, what was Mexican mocha, uh, caramelized creme brulee, things that I thought would be really easy, just like sprinkled into coffee the way, you know, pre-COVID, the way Starbucks had nutmeg and chocolate and vanilla, had them out there at the coffee station. So once I had that, it was the caramelized creme brulee that I think it was last, last Thanksgiving or last Christmas, I was roasting sweet potatoes and I'm like, I got to do something extra on these. So I took that snack seasoning, threw it on the sweet potatoes. And I'm like, these are insane. Like I'm not, I, I misunderstood what I was creating here until I took a chance. Then that just opened the floodgates to be like, and it literally reworking our entire strategy towards a capability presentation of being like every meeting you have with somebody now, you are going to have seasoned deli sides. You're going to have seasoned fruit, seasoned vegetables and compound butters. And then it's me going out and doing the legwork to make sure I have the industrial partnerships elsewhere so that if somebody says they like it, well, we're, we're a custom dry blender. We don't, we don't process meat. We don't process dairy, but don't worry. I have a very reputable company that there is a great amount of trust built in with NDAs are in place. Partnership is there. I can take this flavor. I can go work with them and I can get you butter puck samples for you to build these kits out with. And so it's all, it has to be all encompassing when you approach it, especially with produce. I I truly believe that because in, you know, vegetables and fruit, because again, it goes back down to that seasoning packet. Now, is that seasoning packet just going to be set on top and overwrapped? Is that going to be something that a third party industrial processor is going to put in there and overwrap for you? Or is it going to be something that's actually already seasoned before you get it brought in? So it's really managing every contingency or variable that you may have to address as you're building to that finish line. Where have you seen the most interest in some of this opportunity, whether it's like you said, sort of the, the butter pucks, whether it's seasoning on the fresh cut, whether it's even cross merchandising these things in the department, what are people comfortable with? And then what are sort of the, the crazy ideas they're not quite, some people maybe aren't quite ready for. Well, I, so the first time I saw the tahini pack with the fruit was at Vaughn's in Southern California when I was shopping for the show. And that makes sense given the key demos that they're trying to appeal to. I totally understand that. But I will say that tahini as, I mean, just the name alone is something that's being talked about nationwide right now. Now it's just, it's, it's mitigating the various uh, levels of comfort on the palate when you're in different regional areas throughout the country. Sure. But in terms of people, retailers that, that I work with or that I just, you know, call it study that I visit, um, HEB and Whole Foods are two that immediately come to mind in terms of people that are are there. And specifically more so with the compound butters than, oh, okay. than elsewhere. And I, you know, honestly, full transparency, I only know this because I had a meeting with one of the butter suppliers to both of them a couple of weeks ago, showing them some of my weird flavors I come up with. And 
you know, they're showing me pictures of what's being done at store level. And it's either taking the butter and overwrapping it with the vegetables or just having the overwrapped vegetables on a whole wall and then having the butter as a separate supplementary upsell. Oh, so you can pick whatever vegetable you want. Here are some butter flavors for 99 cents. Pick what butter you want. And then you Ooh. can take that yourself. Um, I think the butter suppliers would prefer that it's included because obviously they're going to use more product that way. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, even the, the other retailers that I, that I am actively working with to try to get this off the ground, it truly has only seemed to come down to where do we put them? Where can they go? I don't want these in the back of my produce area on a top shelf that someone's going to go and be like, I just need to get celery. They grab their celery and they walk away and there's these cool flavored meal kits. So as we're brainstorming, then I'm throwing out like, yeah, but what if, what about that cool area you have where you have like the hybrid deli bakery and there's cool beverages over there? I'm like, if, if I walked in there and I'm just like, I'm going to grab a kombucha today on my lunch break. And then I look down and I see sweet peach and strawberry flavored berries. Oh, that's cool. I'll grab that too. I can snack on those at my desk. So, you know, or is there a copping case? Is there a low boy that will spare six slots? Let's just do three on the top and three on the bottom and just try them. Just try them. And that's, and they're energized by that because they're like, you're speaking our language. We're, we're fighting right now to get whatever we can. And they don't want to take the chance on it until they know it's in the right area to give it a fair shake. There's nobody at the executive level that's saying this is a bad idea. It's more, this is a, this is something we haven't done yet. Yes. We really need to make sure we clearly think through where does this need to be? What flavors do we need to merchandise? And how do we want to pair this with surrounding items to really try to give it a fair shake? Otherwise, if this doesn't work, somebody's going to kill it and you're never going to be able to revisit the conversation again. Yeah. So it's it's there's ebbs and flows in terms of people that are just like, throw the butter out there, throw the vegetables out, people know what to do versus let's put seasoning with the vegetables and really give this a fair shake is something totally new or told, you know, totally new, but I don't know, a hybrid type of white space that they want to explore. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. See what happens to your fresh cut Brussels sprouts, Brussels sprout sales. If we replace with this, where you've already got the butter in there, you've already got the seasoning mm -hmm. in there, that sort of thing. And give it a little while, see what happens, but give that same space, that sort of thing. Yeah. And it's, it, you know, it goes back to where I started with this conversation when people are walking by the booth and they're like, that's the future. And I'm like, it doesn't need to be like, just <laughs> let's just take the chance. Like it's, it, we're, we can do this. It doesn't need, it doesn't need to be that far in the future, yeah. but yeah. Uh, it, I, I truly believe it's going to happen. I think, you know, and I, and I mentioned the Kroger street corn kit cause I was actively and personally involved with that. Um, I know that like that is going to expand. I know that other vegetables are going to be packaged the same way for other things. So like it's happening, it just seems to be happening more through industrial relationships that are going to retail, not retailer directly. I think it's easy to do it either way, but not a lot of people are even overwrapping that produce at this point at store level. Most of it's just getting sent in that way to them. So it's working out the logistics of how does this make sense? And it's, it's, you know, honestly, it's taking a chance and I, I, it's going to happen. It, it is. And street corn seems to be the big one because it wasn't just Kroger that did that. Everybody had street corn out this year. And, um, you know, the complexity of the kits varied from one retailer to the next, but even what I perceived to be the most complex, which, you know, what are you talking? You're talking four inclusions yeah. in the kit. It's nothing, nothing insane, but it is requiring a little bit more work I kind of always lean on the fact that I think there's a beauty to that. I think that there are plenty of people that really just want to drive through a window and grab their food and, and no shot at that. I did it for a long time, even my restaurant days, because I was working 80, 90, hundred hours a week. And it yeah. was the easiest way for me to get some calories in my body. Yeah. But I think that anytime you can try to offer a consumer a more interactive experience at home, it evokes a sense of pride when that item gets set on the table because they've done something. And that may just be squeezing lime over or rubbing butter or sour cream on the outside of a corn on the cob before it hits the grill or goes in your oven. But like anything like that, and you're talking minutes of time, 
then all of a sudden you're more invested emotionally. And when somebody takes a bite of that and they're like, well, this is delicious. Yeah. Well, I made that, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, I, so I like, I like the idea more of like letting the consumer do a little bit more at home. It just, it, you know, it depends on the consumer and it depends on the flavor. Some flavor, you know, we made, we put the seasoned cucumbers out at the produce show and I put, I think the first day I did the, what did I do? One of my chamoys, I think I did the dill pickle chamoy on cucumbers just to sort of play with the cucumber and the pickle flavor. And they were awesome. But two hours later, and they're cold, they're safe. But two hours later, they were literally pickles because because there's vinegar in that blend. So it's like, you know, it's just, you can't, you couldn't really have anybody do that and send it to you because then you're just selling pickles at that point. You're not really selling cucumber. (laughs) Oh gosh. Now, when you say the right, you know, finding the right place for these in the stores, I would guess that would be your your impulse areas, your your quick yeah. and convenience areas. If folks have sort of a food service type of area where folks are picking up stuff for lunch, picking up stuff for dinner, maybe prepared food-ish a little bit, are, are those sort of the right places or, or what have you found are, are the, the best locations for that sort of thing? Well, the... So this is where the rubber meets the road. The hardest part about this is it needs to be cold. Mm -hmm. So when you're talking to somebody that's saying, we need to find an area to put this, they're not going to pull charcuterie. Yeah. You know, they're not going to pull cheese. They're not going to pull their, their deli salads that sell on a daily basis in mass quantities. Mm -hmm. So you're, you're, you're leveraging like a niche within a niche because it has to be in that cold case. Mm -hmm. But where you started with that question is, undoubtedly a yes it is that innovative area the company that i see that for years now has done an exceptionally well job with this is is sprouts oh okay before even talking to anybody at sprouts about this i i recognized it just you know like wow this is kind of weird that this is here anytime you go to a sprouts and you go to walk through the checkout there's like a kiosk that you sort of have to maneuver around that kiosk is an innovative showcase. The approach on that is putting ideas out there that don't necessarily fit comfortably with anything else in the store, but let's take a chance. It's, it's gone gangbusters for them. Like, cause they can put really cool things on there. And now if that, if that crazy snack flavor gets set on a shelf, it's going to get lost. Mm -hmm. But when you have it there and somebody's like, well, there's 12, 15 items in this little roundabout that I can just look at. Oh, well, I would never think to try that on almonds. Mm -hmm. I'm going to try the almonds, you know, and that just gets tossed. So it is completely impulse buying. I think for, I mean, for whatever my knowledge is worth, I've never worked in retail. I got, I have food service and I have industrial lockdown, but the way that I romanticize it in the conversations I've had is, it has to be sort of a hybrid of safe and impulse. So, you know, I, when I say like, I'll go buy a kombucha and then I'll grab this. I don't necessarily think that's the best idea. I'm trying to just put myself in the shoes of who I am as a consumer in those moments and who's sort of simpatico in that approach to how I shop when I'm not just buying the weekly commodities I need to feed my children. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, it is a hybrid, it even, even for me, because I know every supermarket I go into on a weekly basis, I know I'm going to get berries. I know I'm going to get bananas. I know I'm going to get, you know, waffles. I know I need to get whole milk. Like there's a checklist in my brain where I'm going to stop at 10 different spots in that store every single time I'm there. So it does need to be impulse, but it also needs to, if you, the way I see it, it needs to be on that track that I take every time I go to a store, which is mostly around the perimeter and then a couple center stops stops. But if it's on that path through the perimeter, I'm going to go and, and I'm going to notice it. I mean, I just bought moon drop grapes for my son a couple of days ago. Phenomenal. He's having a, he's having a hell of a time with them. <laughs> I gave it to him and he said, daddy, this is a carrot. And I said, no, it looks like the purple carrots, but this is a grape. No, daddy, this is a carrot. And I said, take a bite of it, dude. It's not a carrot. It's a grape. And then he <laughs> ate half the bag for dinner that night. So, <laughs> you know, like that was an impulse buy for me. 
But it, it, it was in a safe enough area that when I went to go get the berries I get every week, all of a sudden I see these crazy shaped grapes and I'm like, hey, I'll put a bag in my car to those too. Let's give them a try. <laughs> so it's, it is, it's a hybrid in some way, I believe. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. But familiar enough that you're like, okay, yeah. I'm pretty sure this is going to work. But, but just out there, it's like, ooh, something a little bit different. Yeah. Throw some seasonings on those moondrop grapes. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I don't want to keep you too long, Cody, because I know we're already right, past good. our time. But uh, <laughs> but you had sent me over some of these different seasoning combinations that you all had come up with. And like I said at the top, my question was like, okay, so what all vegetables can I throw these on to help myself eat more vegetables? What were give me some give me some examples? Yes. I've got the list in front of me. What okay. did I send you? Okay, so you had sent one of them was Mexican adobo with sauteed spinach or kale. Okay. Okay. Uh citrus serrano with corn, sweet mandarin orange chili with broccoli. I thought sounded pretty tasty. Um it's a good seasoning. You mentioned the the zesty Szechuan black garlic with mushrooms. That's a staple I'm telling you right now, that is a staple for me. I use it on a weekly basis now. So when I use that as an example earlier of like, people won't know what to do with it. I'm a total contradiction to that because I've got our garlic butter. I've got our lemon pepper. I've got baseline seasonings that I know I can use that zesty Szechuan black garlic has become as common in my pantry for use on a weekly basis of any seasoning I've ever created before. Wow. And it is, it is very, very cool. But you know, black garlic is sort of on trend. So we did some fun things with black garlic just to sort of, you know, again, excite with the naming mechanism that we came up with. I think, you know, in terms of how I approach that, I, I now know what you're referencing. I thought I, I thought you were just going to say the flavors, but <laughs> in terms of, of the list that I sent you, I think it's important to think about, you know, I'm not hesitating that I don't know. I'm hesitating because I think visually. So I'm vi- I'm picturing plates as you would build them, as I would garnish them. So for something like the corn, for example, that seasoning would be just as good for like street corn as it would buying super sweet white corn out of a can, graining it, and then just tossing it in there and you can make oh. like a cold salad. So, you know, I know we're not talking canned vegetables and canned fruits, but the diversity and how that could be used. Now you taste that citrus serrano and you're like, wow, this is, this is a cool seasoning and this is great on corn. We put that on pineapple at the produce show as well. So when you, when someone asked me for a list like that, like I, I will come up with the ideas, Mexican adobo spinach, like what a cool idea. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't know. I pulled that out of the top of my head, but like, (laughs) if I'm going to saute some spinach, and I throw some Mexican adobo seasoning on there that takes that spinach to a place 99.9% of the population has never thought to go before. Mm-hmm. So that's where I really try to think, you know, like I say, I get a little weird, but I try to have, I really try to have fun with it in terms of how do you take something that's mundane and not that it deserves to be, but that is, it is mundane in terms of, you know, okay, we're having spinach again tonight. <laughs> how do you make it different? Now, how do you pair that on a plate? So if you're, say you're going to make a rice bowl for dinner, you're going to make like a, a, a fajita bowl or something of that nature. If you threw that spinach in your fajita bowl, or you just tossed it into your rice before you pulled it out of the pan. Now, all of a sudden you're just layering on top of layering, but all the flavors are synergistic enough that they could work together. So you could put that Mexican adobo spinach in your fried, not fried rice, but in your rice. And then you can put the citrus serrano seasoned corn on top of that. And now just keep building and it's just a, a flavor bomb once you take a bite and, you know, it's, it, you don't have to be scared of it. See, and earlier when you were talking, Cody, about how some of these retailers are saying, hey, let's have, let's have a flavor that can work in departments throughout the store, you know, it, for different seasons. And it just makes me think that could be something a retailer could build their whole identity around and so much Maybe. content around is this is how you can season this and use this and just on the idea of how you season things alone. That that could be content for, I mean, a year, you know, I just, because Absolutely. as you're describing, I'm like, gosh, I would never think to do that, man. I would love to just have instructions, right? All that, that I could follow to really easily elevate sort of these everyday things. I mean, I'm not a chef, right? 
pretty basic no, but level you're, but of right. skill. You are. But I mean, Excuse that me. seems like such a huge opportunity to me. Well, and that's where I like majority seasonings. Okay. Think you're, I'm not going to name any names because I'm not trying to bash anybody. But when you yeah. think of the most standard seasoning blends you would buy at the store that your your parents and your grandparents all had in their pantry that we are still just as comfortable with today as multiple generations ago. Those blends are normally around 50 to 60% sodium content. Okay. Now the blends that we just referenced mm -hmm. cut that in half. Oh, wow. That's why it can be cross merchandised so easily. When I show something on seasoned produce, there's a lot of ways to get flavor without using salt and with vegetables that innately have certain aspects of flavor that you're going to experience different. And I mean that from, you know, say a root vegetable that can hold more or say something spicy that's going to drive capsicum. You know, I need to make sure that the blend can be used on anything and not interfere with the natural flavor. Chicken is chicken. Beef is beef. You know, I understand there's various levels of gaminess or grass fed versus conventional, all, whatever. I don't want to, somebody wants to argue with me over that point. Like you're right, but <laughs> meat is meat, you know, vegetables and produce. I mean, there, there's no two fruits you put next to each other that, you know, are going to taste the same. It's I can put that on pineapple or I can put it on strawberries and it's going to taste very differently, but it can be the same seasoning because I'm, I'm proactively trying to create blends and I, it, it's not me, it's my team. I have a brilliant team behind me. I'm just the crazy idea guy. But when, th when I, when they take my crazy ideas and they actually make something out of it and send it to me to actually start to play with and, and evaluate, one of my goals is to make sure that I'm testing it on a spectrum of items mm -hmm. that includes in what you're referencing, looking elsewhere in the store. Those seasonings that you have in front of you, the coolest part about showing them to a produce department is always telling them, I don't care who you get your deli sides from. I don't care if it's Taylor Farms or Bob Evans or Research or Fresh Creative, doesn't matter to me. Those are formulated to not interfere with the generic average sodium content of what you're bringing in. So you take it and you put it on all the produce or any of the fruit that you like, throw it on some cocktail shrimp, make a compound butter for some fun, you know, brioche rolls, put it on cheesecake and seasoned desserts, and then take it over and add it to coleslaw at this amount per pound, and you change your coleslaw. And you can have your control coleslaw and your new flavored coleslaw side by side, and nobody would know they were the same item. And you know, easier said than done because the competitive nature of categories at the retail space is what it is. But I'm going to say it every opportunity I get because it, it should be music to everybody's ears in terms of thinking in that bigger sphere of, yeah, there is a theme here. We could, we could truly exploit this and have some fun when it comes to LTOs and ways in which we're only focusing on categorically right now. So you mentioned space earlier as the really the, the classic hurdle, right? Is like, okay, so what do you take out to, to test this in the assortment, right? Anything logistically that is a hurdle as far as like, I, I love the idea of the compound butter with, with the fresh cut vegetables, right? Anything logistically as far as, you know, uh, do folks have questions about shelf life or what, what are some of the practical things that maybe you guys have got questions about, figured out the answers yeah. to those sorts of things? So the reason, okay, so coming out of restaurants, I wrote recipes, okay? Then I go back and I get my certifications and then I start working R&D and meat processing. And now every ingredient that I used to see on labels that I didn't know what they were, that I would never use in a restaurant kitchen are now one foot behind me on my bookshelf. And functionally, I had to teach myself like why this matters. Mm -hmm. So from a functional aspect, there are absolutely boundaries you have to play within when it comes to execution. Mm -hmm. And we pride ourselves on being proactively very clean, but it doesn't mean that function is negated there are clean functions that it can occur. And, you know, you think of something like, I, I'm going to go back to the pineapple habanero snack seasoning. Okay. If somebody wanted to launch that and they were hell bent on, you know, putting it 
I've, I've served that on cheesecake in so many meetings to give like a spicy cheesecake and people are like, this is nuts or putting it on a glazed donut. It's awesome. It's just weird. <laughs> but when some, when I show it on cheesecake and then I show it on some produce and then I show it on some uh, watermelon that I fresh cut. And then I'm like, you know, you could also throw this on cocktail shrimp and it would be great. Or you could throw this on different proteins and it would be great. I'm always going to caveat that with, you just have to let us know if you want to do that because functionally I would default to an encapsulated salt just to maintain the integrity of the protein you were going to apply it to. I would do an evaluation of the pH to make sure you're not making ceviche if you put it on raw shrimp or put it on a piece of salmon. So there are aspects of that from, from the food science side of things that definitely have to come into play. So strategically, we'll show it in a lot of different ways, but we're always going to be very transparent in terms of letting them know, yeah, this is a really good flavor. If you wanted to do this, we need to have a different type of conversation. If you want it to work for everything, that's a different type of conversation. If you only want to use it here, we need to know so that functionally we can go back and make sure the blend will set you up for success in the long run. So hurdle wise, you know, I'm, I said the cucumbers turned to pickles at the produce show. <laughs> that was just a knucklehead moment on my part. I should have known that. I mean, it's a pickle seasoning. There's a ton of vinegar in yeah. there, but it was damn good. They were still good as pickles too. Don't get me wrong. We were still <laughs> snacking on them, but it wasn't my intention. It's just, you, you have to think functionally when it comes to a formula. And that's the difference of writing a recipe and writing a formula the functional aspects of how things need to be executed are just as important to take into consideration. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and we can end on this one, Cody, but in general, in, in produce, I'll, I'll say in, in grocery retail, you know, focused on produce, okay. how much have you seen the interest grow in just incorporating more flavor in the produce offerings, even in the last couple of years? Oh, it's night and day. Really? I didn't have these, I didn't have these conversations two years ago. Wow. No, no. I mean, you'd see, you'd see a, a garlic herb butter, maybe, you know, there were obviously companies that were doing like flavors, but you know, I, I don't know. It was in the last, within the last few months, I was talking to somebody, uh, a, a colleague that I have, and they were working on a, a bloody Mary flavored compound butter, oh. you know, and like, I I'm like, well, dude, send me a sample. Like I can't, I want to try that right now. Again, like eat with your eyes. I ate with my ears on that one, obviously, but I'm like, that's, that is awesome. Like, I can't wait. I really want to see this. So, you know, when you think about some of the flavors that are out there or some of the flavors and, and again, I, I don't, I can't sit here and tout massive degrees of success in seasoning produce outside of that street corn. But I can tell you the success of that street corn has led to a multitude of adjacencies we are currently working on with different vegetables because the retailer now trusts that it's possible. The industrial processor now trusts that our flavors will work, that retail knows how to sell them and that they know how to pack them properly. And now that's where that flow starts to come from. But, you know, if two years ago, Ashley, if I had met you and we had had a conversation like this, I never, even as weird as my brain can get, I never would have been like, I really just want to put everything bagel seasoning on corn. Like that never would even cross my mind. But once, you know, once we start to have some fun with it, and once we start to see the cross-functional usage internally of like, hey, don't pigeonhole a blend into one thing. Like we need to try it everywhere. That's when our capability showings really blew up into having the fruit, having the vegetables, having the meat, having the seafood, having the butters, having the desserts, and really showing them like, Oh, you like that flavor? I just put it on six different categories in front of you and look how great it worked everywhere it went. And, you know, again, take some liberties with people's imaginations because they might not be where you're at yet. But if, if at the end of the day, I can stimulate creativity in them or just sort of get those juices flowing with the conversations they're going to be having after they leave the room, then that's success to me. It may not lead to anything at that moment, but I know that I'm I'm pushing I'm pushing it in a direction that I would like to see it go. Well, you mentioned the street corn, so you've got your your initial success story, like you mm, said, to launch it. into some of these other things. <laughs> well, we did a back when I was at Proportion. They're not around anymore. They got bought by Cargo, but I was the R and D manager at Proportion for eight years. 
we, you know, and it was crazy for us. We were a meat processor, but then Sam's club came to us at one point and was like, we want to sell an HMR, um, upscale veg, fully cooked veg side. Huh. And it's like, okay, why are you telling us? Well, because nobody was doing it. Nobody could do cooking. Nobody was doing sous vide or cooking back vegetables at the time. Wow. So we like designated a whole area of our production floor so that we could run these three pound bags of sous vide cooking bag, not true sous vide, but cooking bag style vegetables that, that killed it. And I mean, and at the time, I, I didn't even think of it 10 years ago as compound butter because I was adding my seasoning and then just dumping a bunch of butter in the bag, but it's what it was. Yeah. And now all of a sudden you take that same concept and you're like, just put the fresh vegetables in a take and bake tray, you know, wrap it, unwrap it. It's all there. Throw in the oven, cook it off and it's, it's ready to go. Or steam bags. Steam bags are another one I really like to show because it's so easy. It's so, it, it's very, it's, it's very efficient when it comes to space on the shelf because you get those bags lined up. Mm-hmm. They're about half the width of a tray you just stock a whole shelf up all of a sudden, all somebody has to do is take that like a ready chef go bag is a brand that I, I like, and I use their products for, but, you know, taking a ready chef go bag and, you know, having a seasoning and vegetables in there, um, or a compound butter and the vegetables in there, throw it in your microwave for four or five minutes, done, pop it, dump it, throw it away. I mean, it can't get any easier for people to, to have something, you know, far more nutritious than, then, you know, just more bread, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and it's fun. I, it, it, at the end of the day, it's the most fun I'm having right now are with produce and snacks. It, it really awesome. is, you know, I still got to focus on the meat because that's the backbone of the majority of our business yeah. and ownership may roll an eye or two at me when I'm on the sales call being like, you got to, you got to hear about my new snack seasonings. And they're like, why are we talking about this so much? And I'm like, just trust me. I have a vision. I know it's going to get there. That's awesome. Well, Cody, thank you so much for taking the time today. I'll ask you one more before we go. Anything I should be asking that I'm not or anything else you want to add before we wrap up? You did this to me last time. Last time I had a soapbox moment about trash and <laughs> plant-based meat analogs, but no. That's true. I, I, I I that only was, know I the, because you never know what people are going to say. <laughs> well, that first conversation was shortly after I went to the World Plant Based Expo and decided we'll never do that show again. So, there's <laughs> a lot. Of, you know, I think my my stick in that one was just just eat just eat vegetables. <laughs> do you want to the be original plant plants? Plant. <laughs> so, um, no, I, uh, this was a great conversation. I appreciate it. I think we went a lot of different directions with it, and uh, thank you for. The time again. Uh, I hope it's helpful in in some way, shape, or form. But uh, I'm a huge nerd when it comes to talking about this stuff. So I always love uh, I always love talking to somebody like you that cares. So thank you for the time. Well, thank you, Cody, and we'll thank our listeners as well. I always tell folks if you're learning from or otherwise enjoying the podcast, please do rate and review. That helps me keep it going. Keep bringing in awesome folks like Cody who uh, just can offer so many different areas of, of knowledge and perspective and ideas, inspiration for, for the produce industry that we all enjoy so much. So with that, thank you all again, and we'll see everybody next week on the Produce Recap Podcast. <laughs>